Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Incremental Games Podcast. I was instantly furious with myself. I jumped up and screamed in frustration at my embarrassing performance and how I had just quit on myself. My own mind and will gave that victory away. I let fear take over and I chose to lose. My mind had turned on me, but little would I know it was one of the most pivotal moments in all my career and an essential experience to help me understand not only my mind and thoughts, but how to help so many others that I would coach. As with so many things in our life that seem negative and detrimental to our triumphs, they often provide us with the blueprint to success later in life. That is an excerpt from a book called Fearless by Design by Tom Blackledge, and I've got the pleasure and privilege of sitting alongside and opposite Tom today to discuss more about the book. Welcome to the podcast, Tom. Hello, mate. Thank you for having me. So I really enjoyed the book for for several reasons. One, it taught me loads of new stuff that I wasn't aware of. Two, it also reminded me of stuff that I'd forgotten about and tools that I like to use myself. And three, and enjoy is probably not the right word, but I appreciated how honest you was about your own experiences, your fears of failure, performance anxiety, and how you dealt with injuries. So tell us how the book came about, Tom. How long did it take to, to come about? Was it an easy process to do? And have you always had in your mind that you would write a book? Tell us more about that. Um, so writing a book, yeah, I always wanted to write a book. Um, I've wanted to write a long time. I've always had a massive interest in reading, writing. Um, you know, I have a lot of books in me that I'm going to write, mm-hmm. um, which I get asked quite a lot. Am I gonna, after they've read this one, then I've, I've had loads of messages yeah. now saying, when's the next one, when's the next one? And I, I had the, the plans and the frameworks in place for quite a few different books of different models, what I know will help serve others. Right. Um, but starting this book, this book probably took me, it, realistically, probably about eight years. Um, because originally as well, I wrote it, I wrote it by hand. It was just the best way for me to get all my information out. Right. And I started off with it as a, um, like a mind map. So I, in my office, at my home office, I had a whiteboard, a big one. Mm-hmm. And on it, I wrote all the bits of things that I thought would help. And I could write this book about fear and coping mechanisms and yeah. facing up to things that, um, you know, I think people struggle a lot in doing things that they should do to have a happy life and understand adversity creates the resilience you need. Yeah. Facing that adversity creates that resilience you need to, to be able to have a happy and enjoyable life. And these were all parts of me writing this out and I'd mind map it on the, on the board. And then... Never for anybody else to see? Uh, well, it, it weren't that it was not for anyone to see. It was, that was my foundations for the book. So, right, I could okay. put, so what I wanted to do, and I really feel like I've got that with the book because... That's one of the biggest feedbacks I get is that it flows very easily. Mm-hmm. Very easy to read, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and that people say, nice. like, I don't normally read, but I read 50 pages in one go and I read 100 pages in one go and it was like, it yeah. was so easy. And that was what I was after. I wanted people who might not read to the extent that I do. Not that, it, not that someone who does read a lot mm-hmm. won't get something from it. Yeah. But if I wanted it to be open that some people might not read but can flow into the book quite easily and take a lot of the yeah. information freely from it. Yeah. It sounds like it's almost, and we'll touch on stoicism in a bit, but almost your version of the meditations, like Marcus Aurelius written his own little little mantras for how to cope with stresses and strains, never to be really published for his own use. It sounds like a little bit like that was well, your... I, I, I do have that. Like Personally, I have my own um, diary and notes and things like that that I'll yeah. just write things. Yeah. Um, 
and sometimes freely I'll put them online, others put them onto Instagram or I'll put them onto my website. Um, just if it helps people and makes mm-hmm. people think a little bit differently. That's yeah. my, one of my key things that I like doing is that I like to change people's perspectives on things. You know, you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Yeah. It's, it's something that I like to be able to help people with that they see things a little differently. And I think me being open in the book, so like when I wrote it, so it took me eight years, so I wrote it by hand, mm-hmm. just heading back, I don't want to go off no, on, yeah, on too yeah. much of a, a tangent. Um, I wrote it by hand originally just to get the stuff out. And I probably wrote 100 odd pages by hand. Um, then I typed it up. When I typed it up, I, I ended up losing a lot of the paper pages mm-hmm. and I had it on my MacBook. I didn't have the iCloud and that back then. It was quite a few years back. I just had it stored on the hard drive. And then um, there was a glass of like Ribena or Vimto or yeah. something like that spilt on. I didn't know it spilt onto my Mac. Oh. And then maybe a day after I'd seen this, my Mac was just floating in this oh my God. drink. Yeah, I thought, yeah. oh. So I tried to get it and I tried to get it recovered and I couldn't get the book recovered. So it was like, oh. From pretty much from scratch, I had to rewrite it. But luckily, I'd also given some talks on similar concepts. And I obviously knew the material much better. So I just mm-hmm. took it as the things like I teach, like Amo Fati. It was like the love affair. There's a reason why this has happened. Yeah. That book that I had four years ago wasn't anywhere near the book I had mm-hmm. now. And so I, yeah. I knew that fate was probably holding me back for the right time to release the book. Yeah. So I was like, I accepted it and redid it. And um, that was a finished, pro- you know, finished, yeah. finished product. Um, my next ones won't take anywhere near as long now because obviously it's like anything, it's a learning process of yeah. learning. What is your next one gonna be on, just out of interest? Are we, you allowed to tell us that? Um, well, I have, a, I have a couple which I'm not sure on which way I'm going, but um, Ultimately, I like I like goals and utilizing the law of attraction mm-hmm. and how to manifest things and things like that. Yeah. So uh, one of them is going to be on that. So fantastic. Um, you know how to try and get the things that you want to get. Yeah. One of my biggest insights from the book, as, a, as a, if I look at it as a whole, and you touched on it before um, briefly, is how our thoughts and our language basically can create the reality and the way we see and the frame in which we see the world. You put a post out the other day on Instagram, and um, I've got it on my phone, but my phone's recording. The bottom bit was, sticks and stones may break our bones, and the normal adage would be, but words can never hurt me. And you changed it. I don't know if that's somewhere where you read, or you changed it yourself, and it was something along the lines of, well, I'll tell you what, you could, you could tell us the, the last bit of that quote. Um, it was like, words can create and destroy dynasties and destinies. And destinies, yeah. yeah. Um, no, that was my word, and that's, um, you know, obviously... It took me back. I read that, and I was like... So what we've been told previously is a bit of a lie, isn't it? Words will never hurt you. Words, well, they do hurt you. Vocabulary don't. and language affect how you see circumstances, experiences that happen to you. Yeah, and, and the biggest thing that stuff you speak about in the book is how we see ourselves. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. When, like, when I coach kids, a lot of people will say someone of my martial arts pedigree and caliber wouldn't really coach kids that often. Mm-hmm. And they're right, they don't normally. But what I find is, if I can coach these kids, I'm not interested in making any of the kids fighters. That's far from anyone who's been a fighter and had the punishing regime of it is probably not going to be like, go and be a fighter. It's yeah. not the most 
rewarding financially or you know there's certainly other paths you could go down for less and i think it's because you understand the sacrifices needed exactly that's it the sacrifice yeah. is massive but it's understanding that we're able to pass on to these children ways to think differently ways to perform better in the in society so that you know like the old um saying of planting trees and sitting in mm-hmm. planting Shadows, trees in, yeah. in, in whose shade i'll never sit in is true and i try and live by that ethos in here in the mm-hmm. academy and that look you these kids might stop training in two years time i hope they don't i hope they stay with martial arts forever because i think it's a very important tool to have um but maybe they do but maybe i'll be able to plant a few seeds yeah that can alter the way that they see themselves and in turn we'll see the world and the way that yeah. they perform in the world i think that's how you got to approach it I'm, I'm the same when we have our kids classes and i, I coach the kids classes I understand that they, they want to do all sorts of different activities. And I think that's good that kids are more general rather than specific. Yeah. They try a lot of different activities to see what suits them. But if I can just instill a little bit of wisdom, a bit of knowledge, something, a little lesson that they continue to correspond to that lesson, even though they're not training jiu-jitsu anymore, when they're teenagers and they think, oh, I remember that from what Dave told me in jiu-jitsu, then that's my, that's my job done, really. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think sometimes kids are going to... We have to remember like that when you have your kids train in jiu-jitsu or MMA or, or in anything really. Like if they've, if they've put time in a little bit, it's very easy for us to sort of let them say, I don't want to do it anymore, and you let them quit. Mm-hmm. But you're giving them a bad lesson really in that it's all right to just stop. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, <clears throat> I like my son to do things and to learn, to practice, and he does martial arts and he studies music and he studies a few little things. And I'm like, you don't have to do it intently that it's your life but have focus on a few things that you can practice and, mm-hmm. and you can learn and you can develop yourself a little bit. Yeah. Um, and it's like anything then, if you let them quit, I had a great, a, a great saying from someone years ago and it was like, don't, don't let them quit on the days that it's hard. Let them have a really good time and see if they want to quit then. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like if, the if they say, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it. They've just had a great session. They've done fantastic. And they go, I'm bored of it now. I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. I want to do something else. Okay. Let them replace it with something else. Just don't let them replace it with a, a Nintendo or an Xbox. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. You know, or playing Fortnite, yeah. you know. <laughs> That's a good bit of advice. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah. So going back to our communication, particularly initially, I want to talk about self-talk the way we communicate with ourselves. When you coach, whether it's athletes, um, the CEOs in business, coaching anybody, how do you start to approach the subject of self-talk? People might not be even aware that they have in a monologue. And how do you get people to talk to themselves better? Because it's a strange, if you're not used to it, it's a strange idea. Yeah, so I have a thing where I like to say to a lot of people about getting back to neutral. Because it's easy to say, be positive. But when you're negative... Positive seems so far away that mm-hmm. it's like impossible to even think. And like they're saying, like we were saying then about the way you look at things, yeah. it, it's like a lot of the time you'll get negative people who will look at you being positive and think it's all bullshit, really. Yeah. You know, they're in that group and they'll they'll gather around each other and say, yeah, bullshit, bullshit. But a lot of the time, that's their fears and their ways of talking to themselves to try to rubbish all this goodness yeah, yeah. that's going on yeah, to justify them to themselves to justify to themselves yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but being able to notice like when you say how do you speak to yourself a lot of people like you say not even be aware of how they speak to themselves and finding and noti- noticing 
that you actually do speak to yourself is yeah. key um, to start off the process. Um, knowing that and then seeing that when you say, oh yeah, I'm saying I'm calling myself a piece of shit because I've had a piece of cake or something. Like knowing that and then seeing that and then using that as your trigger. So same whenever I'm teaching meditation. If I'm teaching someone to meditate and they assume that it's about a clear mind, no thoughts ever pop up, nothing's ever there, and everyone can just do it that easily. And I'm mm -hmm. like, it's a trained practice and thoughts do pop up. Yeah. So when they do pop up, don't then kick off at yourself and be upset. Use this as a reminder that your uh, thoughts, are there too loud downstairs? What's that, sorry? No, it's fine. I was just conscious then if it was yeah, too noisy. Right. Um, so use these thoughts that pop up as a reminder to go back to your meditation again. Mm -hmm. use it, be thankful. And it's the same in this. If you think negatively about yourself, if you have negative thoughts, think just a minute, this is a negative thought. Let me try and reframe this now. This is a good reminder to me that I am thinking negative. I am calling myself something that is not serving me a purpose. Let me pull this back a little bit and I'll readjust and go back to neutral and then try and find a positive spin mm -hmm. on what I can do. Cool. Yeah. In the book, you talk about coping strategies and we'll get into them in a bit. Um, you, you, on purpose or purposefully, is that the right word? On purpose, yeah. you put breath work before meditation. So is breath work maybe a good way that people could start monitoring in, monitoring the inner monologue and the self-talk um, of what they're saying to themselves when they're So I, separ I separated them too for a few reasons. Ultimately, because if I say to a lot of people, meditate. So say I just speak to someone um, who's an athlete, who's a fighter, <clears throat> and who isn't brought up on martial arts as such. It's, it's quite a barrier to say meditate yeah. to a lot of people. The preconceived ideas of meditation. Yeah. Is like, they think it's like this yoga thing. Yeah. Of like, and so it can be quite jarring for them to even start because they think, I'm not doing that. Oh, daft. <laughs> right, but it's like, if I can teach them how to breathe correctly, because they are two separate things anyway. We, yeah. we do breathe, a, a lot of people breathe incorrectly over here. Um, we use our mouths to breathe and we shouldn't be using our mouths to breathe at all. It should always be through our nose. It should always be nasal breathing. When we do that and we start breathing through our mouth, we're putting ourselves, like I say in the book, about being in fight or flight, and it alters our physiological state. So I separate the two because I think if I can get you to breathe normal and correctly and use your nasal breathing and be in control of your breath, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going meditating. Mm -hmm. It means that you're able to utilize your breath work correctly and in a, in a place where um, it's going to assist you just in your day-to-day -day life. Yeah and change your state and then I have meditation later on because the breathwork is key to that using that barrier's a bit broken down now when you yeah, can approach meditation yeah. Yeah. so you can if you don't want to meditate if you don't want to meditate but you I, you couldn't go into meditate and breathe through your mouth and not be in control of your thoughts and breathing without having some knowledge of breathwork mm -hmm. and like when you look at someone like Wim Hof he does this breathwork that breathwork is originally taken from something called tummo breathing uh, the inner fire mm -hmm. and he's taken that and he and he does teach it just to get the oxygen in which is great because at least people are breathing and doing the things but he's like he's yeah, saying just gulp in this yeah, breath yeah. and 
this tunnel breathing is great, but if you do it nasally, it's even better for you if you can if you can do it yeah. that way. Am I right in saying that? Is it tunnel breathing? Yeah. Is that what monks used to use to heat themselves up living in like Tibet and that's the, right, yeah, in the Alp, not yeah, the Alps, um, the, the mountain range, yeah. Everest and all that, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what it was for. They would right. they would they would use this tunnel breathing, and it was it's called the inner fire, but it would take 10, 15 years to yeah to become to proficient in in, <laughs> in the study, yeah. And it was about chakras and and visualization yeah. and interesting. Like. Have you read um, James Nestor's Breath? Yeah. Have you read that? Yeah, it's a great That's book. That's a fascinating yeah. book. It tell you all about the importance of nasal breathing and stuff if yeah. anyone's interested in, in So if that. you look into like what he's saying in breath, and then there's another one of Patrick McKeon, I think. Yeah. Um, I the oxygen book. advantage. Oxygen advantage. And if you look at any like I've trained through Ataraxia, through our, our CIC, we deliver a lot of breathwork stuff, right. courses and uh, my wife and I and a couple of our staff as well who do it. Um we deliver these breathing protocols and um, and things, um, but I've lost my train of thought now. What I was going to say? Oh yeah, on the on the book. Yeah, uh, Patrick. Uh, uh, all Patrick these books. If, if you have a look James at the, the way that they say about the shaping of your face and the shaping of your nasal cavity in your mouth, if you go back, um, maybe just a bit over a hundred years, there's a, a gentleman called Doctor Weston Price, and he was a dentist, and he was noticing that everyone had cavities that he would see. And he was thinking, why is everybody having cavities? This isn't, right. this shouldn't be a natural thing. And so he went on a, on a journey around the Americas and went to see like the Inuits and the mm -hmm. Native Americans and all these tribes. And he noticed that they didn't have any um, cavities. <laughs> and he noticed that they were very healthy, they were very big, they were lean. And there was certain things that he said that he wrote about saying, uh, like, you know, they brought the ice with the bodies in the morning. So they would, like, go into the um, lakes and ponds yeah. and crack the ice and do, like, this cold therapy. Just it's, walk it's in. It's massive now. The moment, yeah, yeah, it's, it's massive it, yeah. now. And yeah. They only ate animal products. They didn't eat. There was no processed food. There was mm -hmm. nothing from shops. And he spoke to, like, the chiefs of the tribes and things. And, like, when these Western stores were encroaching on their land it was like don't go and eat the stuff right. from there because this is what happens yeah. you know and it's an interesting um, sort of take that he then said the shape of the face changed because of his eating soft palatable foods which is also in yeah, one of say, those yeah, books I can't remember which one yeah, it yeah. is but it's in one of those books too about the breath work because the breathing because become, we become mouth breathers because we're eating changes soft like food because your, yeah. your mouth changes and your throat changes yeah, that's amazing, really. and all the muscles change and adapt so when they look back at older skulls from a couple of hundred years ago our faces are different our, our skulls are different because of the way we were chewing mm -hmm. things and our musculature would have been different yeah, that's interesting going back to meditation and breath work what is your own personal practice with that. So I do a daily practice every night before I go to bed. Um, sometimes I'll alter what I do, so I can't say like I always do the same meditation. I don't. Sometimes I might meditate on something. Sometimes I might do something like a somatic um, descent kind of meditation, which What's that, sorry? which is uh, like going into my body mm -hmm. and traveling through my body and just feeling like if something's so tight. A body scan, would it be like, yeah, like a body, body scan, scan, yeah. Um, uh, in the morning, I will get up and do my breath. I do a breathwork routine before I do anything else. That's like my first thing right. is a breathwork routine, and then I write and read 
And so like, uh, I put something on today about meditation. So every day I always read either meditations or calendar wisdom or one of those things. It's just a small snippet of stuff that I can yeah. just think about for a minute and I'll read something and be like, okay. And all day then I'll think about that. And I think this is something what people miss a little bit with reading. They might get a book and think <clears throat> like the meditations, they don't really know how to read meditations because you never taught that way. There's very many different ways to read books. Yeah. And it's like, like meditations, you don't read more than a page at a time, normally, because it's just about what you think. It's just a change. Yeah. You sit on it and you... Ponder on a sentence you, all day. Ponder like, on, yeah, a, on, a, on, on one of his yeah. paragraphs of why was he thinking like that? What did he mean by this? What, what would I think if I was in that situation? Mm -hmm. you know, so that's, that's my routine of like breathwork in the morning. And sometimes I will meditate if I'm doing something big or like maybe doing... Um, a big talk that day in front of a lot of people or something like that. I'll sit and meditate and collect my thoughts and keep myself in that calm, serene yeah. state. Yeah. I think going back, going back to the reading part, I think people almost see it as like a, if you're a reader, a status symbol is how many books you've read, how many books have you got through? So people want to read the book, get it to the end and then start a new one or I've read 50 books this month. Yeah. Rather than like you said, the process of just reading a chapter or a paragraph, depending on the kind of book it is, obviously, and just sitting with it and out. How does that make you feel? Pondering on it, like we've said. Yeah. Well, I think I think that's the other thing of a book. I did. I wrote a, an article a few years back on it on my website. I think I put it. I think it was on the website. Um, and it was like how to read a book, and it's about that this thing of. You know, these books are different. You read them differently. Sometimes you might study a book, and if you're studying a book, you're probably going to sit and read it very, very slowly. Yeah. And see what you can extrapolate from them pages for yourself to use. And then other times you might just sit. It's just to sit and read. Just for the enjoyment of it. Just yeah. to read it, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, I, mean I, don't read any I don't read fiction. A lot of people do read fiction. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But I, I don't really, or not very often anyway, it's not often yeah. that I would read many fiction yeah. books. Um, just because I don't really have much time to do it and it's not my main focus of, mm -hmm. of growth, you know. Yeah. So going back to self-talk, but if we look at how we communicate with others, um, there's a nice bit in the book where Socrates has a three-step three-step filter. If someone's coming trying to um, indulge in gossip with him, it's is it good news or bad news? Okay, is it um, what's the other one? Is it useful? Is it actually true? Starting off, so why? If it's none of them things, why actually say it? How do you start to approach the subject of gossip? How do you deal with gossipers? Do you shut them down straight away, or do you? How, how do you deal with so, that? So, I mean, it's quite a deep, um, a deep sort of thing, situation to be in that with the gossip in, like, in friendship. So if someone's gossiping about a friend, it's like, what level of friend are they? Mm -hmm. You know, like, I, uh, there's an Aristotelian view on friendship, on, like, there's three levels of friendship, and it's like if you're in a business relationship, if you're right. making each other better or... But I liken it to the fact of there's levels of friendship in that I have friends that no one would dare speak ill of to me because they would know there would be no, yeah, no entertainment of one bit of a negative word. And I think people miss that sometimes. I think people forget that. And I, I think that's the ultimate level of friendship. That if someone thinks, no one's like, let me take um, Clamp for an example. No one would dare say a negative thought about him to mm -hmm. me because they know that it wouldn't be entertained yeah. for a second. 
but then there's them levels of you have these friends, but they're happy to talk ill of you behind your back and gossip. Yeah. Well, not really your friends either than them. It's not, that's not what a f- true friend is. You know? And I think there's levels and levels of going up to the top of they weren't there yeah. to the ones where people are willing to say negative things about you. Yeah. you know? And I think knowing that, like for me, I, I have no interest in gossiping, but it's not to say that it's not enticing to do it. Because it is, isn't it? We all, yeah. And the reason for doing it, a lot of the time, is that we feel like shit. And so if I see someone doing better than me, I'm going to talk shit. Mm-hmm. Like I say about it in the book, um, we don't judge down. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. People, people doing better than you at something aren't going to sit and start talking about you because you're not on their radar. Yeah. They're not even thinking about and you. That's not the bandwidth that they're that's how they, how yeah, they yeah. live. Like yeah. I, I, I've been around a lot of high performers and a lot of uh, successful people, and I can tell you that they don't sit and start talking about. Hey, mm-hmm. have, you seen, have you seen what such a body's doing? Or yeah. they just get involved. You know, if they're getting involved, they're helping, they're pushing what they're doing. They're, you know, they're, they're not sitting talking ill of someone. Yeah, it's almost like um, me and my wife have a have a thing where she works in a in an office, and a lot of the offices gossip, gossip. Ossif, office gossip, gossip what's yeah. going on, who's, who's doing what to who and all this kind of stuff. And a lot of the time, they're trying to bring that person who they're gossiping to down to their level. Yeah. So they, and we have a term from the chimp paradox where she, they're offloading their chimps. And if I take on board that chimp and start going, oh yeah, that, that's really bad that what they're doing. Yeah, oh my, I've took on board their energy and I'm functioning at a lower like bandwidth. I've got so many units of bandwidth a day to, to put into stuff that, and, and well, it's, it's also I think I write about it, about it in the book because it's a few years back since yeah. I um, it, you know it's funny when you write a book a lot of the time you offload all the stuff mm. and then forget but like when you get involved in that gossip and like I said it's enticing sometimes and people go oh did they write it and you get pulled into this thing but then you feel like shit yeah because you're thinking why am I talking crap about someone and then you end up judging yourself and talking ill of yourself because mm-hmm. you've been talking ill of others. It always happens. It's yeah. always the most insecure are always the ones who are gossiping behind other people's <laughs> backs because it comes back on you all the time. And it's like um, in the Bible, I use the quote in the book about remove thy beam. Yeah. You know, before you judge your speck in your brother's eye, remove thy beam. It's like you're judging all these other people because you, you won't look at yourself and just mm-hmm. go, do you know what? I've done these things. I've done bad things. I'm incapable sometimes people won't do that so they prefer to gossip and put yeah. it out there on others and then they don't realise it it just feels worse and worse and worse mm-hmm. on themselves yeah and then affects like we spoke about at the beginning affects their self-talk then the way they speak to themselves yeah always they can't help then can they because yeah. they start doing it about themselves as much as they would do it about other people they then talk crap about themselves and this this leads on to a lot of the things that I say is like Marcus Aurelius talks about it in meditations and he's like you if you knew what they thought of themselves and yet you don't do what you could do because you're afraid of their opinion, mm-hmm. you know, it's like these people hate themselves. So why are you bothered if they like you or not? Yeah. Right. And it's like, oh yeah. It's so why would you not put you out there on Instagram or social media talking? If that's what you want to do, go and do it. If you want to go and dance on TikTok and you're a mum at home yeah. and you've got 20 minutes in a day and you think I want to dance to a song on TikTok and you don't put it on because someone's going to judge you. Why are you interested? Just put your... Yeah, yeah. If that's what you want to do, don't get me wrong, it's not what I would want to do, but if that's what you want to do, that's good. You do what you want to do and, and live your life and enjoy that bit of moment. Yeah. 
but also don't judge others for doing what they want to do or else it'll come back on you <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the Marcus Aurelius and in the book one of the biggest chapters is on stoicism yep um, how do you use stoicism in your life what are the kind of you mentioned them in the book but what are the main tenets of stoicism that you kind of like to utilise I'm going to assume that people listening to this will already be aware of stoicism but um, if you want to go into a brief description of what stoicism yeah, is yeah well stoicism is a philosophy from like over 2000 years ago and uh, created by a man uh, called Zenocitium and he was a merchant a very wealthy merchant and he he was bringing in shipments of cloth and things and his ship got destroyed and shipwrecked but all his worths were on there mm-hmm. and so he lost everything um, and so in his quest to cope with losing everything he fell into philosophy He'd already, he had already studied a lot of philosophy in different schools um, and from that he, he was he was the guy who created Stoicism. Mm-hmm. And Stoicism gets confused a lot with the word Stoic in that they think it's emotionless. But it's not emotionless, it's, it's free of the emotions that don't serve us. Right. And, you know, like jealousy and envy and greed and all these things. Um, so I embrace that in that it just provides me a peace of mind, a tranquility that I can live my life I, I, I can't say that I'm stoic I wouldn't like people say am I a stoic I wouldn't say I was a stoic as such because mm-hmm. I believe in certain things that maybe wouldn't pass off as stoic yeah some some people like I'll talk about the law of attraction I believe in the law of attraction um maybe differently than a lot of others but I believe in the law of attraction and a lot of stoics may, may say yeah they didn't in what um, way the law of attraction um in what way do you mean different to other people well, I think some people think of the law of attraction of like, I'll think of something and it's just going to come. Yeah. Right. And, you know, and it doesn't really work like that. I think people's um, experiences of the law of attraction might be the secret and that's it, which is a, which is a good starting point for mm-hmm. understanding, understanding it. Some of the most knowledgeable people on the subject in that, in that book or in that film. But I think people don't spend the time to really delve into what it's, the law of attraction his yeah. teachings are and you know studying from um the proper teachers who taught it you know i have um going off topic slightly well still on topic of law of attraction but off topic from stoicism and that i have this like it's a, it's a running like hypothesis that i have and i'm quite open to things that are going on around me and opportunities and those opportunities have led me to where I am now in my in personal life, in my marriage, in my me, in me business and stuff. But if I'd have had a different mindset, I wouldn't have been open to those opportunities. And I'm almost like listening, and this is going to sound like a bit airy-fairy, but listening to what the universe is like trying to tell me yeah. with those opportunities. And if, for example, if, I, if something appears to me more than like once on a similar theme... I think that it's something's trying to tell me something there, and I'll, I'll move forward towards that opportunity. And I think that's a kind of law of attraction. Hundred percent. I'm yeah. not just thinking, right? I want a Lamborghini, and I'm going to get a Lamborghini. I want financial stability, just from thinking it. But being open to all these different things that are happening, if you're open to something, I think that is a form of yeah, for sure, embracing the law for of sure. opportunity, um, law of attraction. Well, so. I think you know, talking on that, like I have um, with me when I write and I put a lot of stuff and I do the videos and I film. Anyone who knows me knows. I'm, I, I wouldn't say I was fully introverted, but I'm a, 
a quiet man and I like to sit and read. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be famous. I don't really want to be seen that much. But I get a lot of people asking me a lot of things or asking me to do podcasts or asking me yeah. to talk or um, asking my opinion or whatever. And then I'll, I'll, I got asked about doing these videos because I was writing all the time. and I, It was a twofold thing for, for doing the videos on Instagram and social media. One was social media is quite a negative place and it was just wasting time. Mm -hmm. And you could spend an hour just wasting time just skimming through videos easy, of not much <laughs> and one of my biggest um, quotes I like to live by is never be overheard complaining and so I'm like if I'm complaining about Instagram or social media being crap I'm not doing anything to solve the problem so I thought well maybe I can put some content out there mm -hmm. that might help one person and then I also got asked by some people going I don't like reading that much I don't go on websites that much but I like all the content could you not just talk about it and yeah. I thought well maybe that's a good plan yeah and I always had a, an intention to do a podcast I haven't started that yet but that is in the future but um, from that point um, we can edit stuff out it's fine it's all right oh, okay um I'll just help shut the door. Oh, there you go. Um, uh, where were we then? Putting videos out on it. Putting, putting videos out on Instagram and doing some good oh, yeah. content. Yeah, your side, your side. So, um, so when I was putting stuff on, sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't want it. I can't be bothered doing this. And I've got content. I could just record content mm -hmm. all the time if I wanted. There's always stuff that's valuable, but I just think you know it's time consuming. And I'm like, is anyone that bothered? I'm like, I just want to. If I'm helping someone, then great. But, and then. You will get them signs and I'll get them messages and it's like sometimes I get messages and it's like they'll get me close to tears sometimes of yeah. guys who have been on the edge and they say, I just watch a video and it's like, stop me doing this. And I think, that's the reason. Oh, yeah. okay, I'll go and film a video then. I know it's yeah. that nudge. You know, I like, and you'll get these things of, um, like writing the book, it took so long writing the book and I needed to make sure it was the best that I could make it. Mm -hmm. And some days you'd have that self-doubt, but it was like, if you're open to the suggestions from the universe, they'll give them you, you know, and it, I got that a lot. Yeah. And I really live by that, you know. Um, I got a really nice message this morning from a close friend of mine who's in another group somewhere else, and they were t someone had messaged about the book, saying oh, it's yeah. like a life-changing book. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, you see them things, and you, sometimes you doubt yourself and you think, am I doing you know, the right thing. Like, I think yeah. I think about all my knowledge that I have, and I don't say that with arrogance. I've earned my right to... Of course, yeah, yeah. For, for this, I've studied a lot of things. What I, what I speak about, I've spent a long time learning them. It's not like I've just decided, <laughs> right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yeah. do this. Um, because if you ask me about things I don't know, if you ask me about DIY or building, I'm pathetic. I'm absolutely <laughs> awful at it, and I can't seem to get good at doing it. Um, but it's like knowing that and knowing that I can help, then I'll, and I listen to them little signs sometimes. Mm -hmm. Because it's a, difficult, it's a difficult place to be, isn't it? Because sometimes talking like that, talking about growth and personal development, it's not cool, is it? Yeah. Like martial arts isn't cool and uh, personal development isn't cool. Yeah. Like we have this really strange thing over here that, this, like if you remember, do you remember when we were kids, a lot of people might, might not know what I'm about, but like Grange Hill. And it was like the cool kids were the You're ones who smoked. Do you remember Grange Hill? You're only 30. I, I saw it on, um, <laughs> <laughs> on UK Gold. Yeah. Um, 
all the all the cool kids smoked and yeah, yeah. and did all the shit that's like really negative and detrimental to your success and smoked and drank and did drugs and were misbehaving, didn't learn, didn't study. You talk about in the book the, the crabs in a bucket and tall poppy syndrome, the fear of actually achieving something and the fear of success. Yeah. I wasn't actually going to pick up on that point, but why you brought it up like that, that's massive as well. That holds people back, doesn't it? Because they don't want to move away from the peer group. They don't want to be seen as overachieving. Yeah. Well, that's it, isn't it? Because people, people are afraid of being, you know, um, what's the quote now? I, I don't want to uh, make a mess of the quote, but it's pretty much we don't fear not being able to succeed. We fear our actual power. We fear mm-hmm. what we're actually truly capable, we're capable of. of. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. it's... Knowing that, knowing that people, like, I'm special and you're special, so we're not special, but we're all special. It's that, knowing that thing of, you have the capacity to be amazing, just let yourself yeah. be amazing. Don't be, don't be afraid of other people's opinions of you. It's like we were talking about before. Once, once you get rid of that, you'll do a lot of stuff that you wouldn't mm-hmm. have thought you were capable of doing. Yeah. I think it's the biggest, the biggest um, thing that holds you back. And I think you've got to make sure you've got some good cheerleaders around you, you know, to be able to, to be able to succeed. People who just want you to succeed just because, yeah. like, why wouldn't I? There's, there's, there's plenty in the world to go around, mm-hmm. and if. And that comes from having a, talking about growth mindset and stuff. That comes from having an abundance mindset, only rather than scarcity and thinking. If you want to have a podcast, or that's too many podcasts, no one's going to listen to mine. There's, there's enough. Absolutely. I use podcasts as an example, bad example probably, but but well, like jujitsu. Yeah, it's like it's like oh my god, there's another jujitsu school. What's ten miles away? Mm-hmm. Well, that's all right because people will come to you who don't want to come to me, who yeah. don't want to go to someone else. Like there's there's plenty of room for people to practice martial arts in a place that suits them. Yeah, on a time that suits them. Yeah, you know, and knowing that without the this thing of like competition and it's like a lot of time you can work together to mm-hmm. build something much better for everybody. Yeah. And and I think sometimes I'll get that like if I have someone come here and they've trained at another academy or another gym and they'll if they speak negative and that of the coach or the team, it's always a red flag to me that because I always think, Well, I know that guy or I know I yeah. know of him and you know, you're coming here, you don't need to call him, you don't need to say you just say you didn't enjoy that training you wanted somewhere else that's fine by me like yeah. if people don't come to were to stop training with me and train somewhere else it's like it weren't for me it weren't my place yeah that's understandable we all have different needs mm-hmm. what need to be met um, that's a good example that jujitsu and in terms of the technique in jujitsu and I'll, I'll relate it back to the to the book if I don't go off too much off our tangents um, with your level of knowledge and skill and experience the way you teach a technique is going to be different to maybe the way I teach a technique. It's the same technique, I explain it a little bit differently. Someone might relate to the way you teach that technique and something might click because of the way you deliver it other than the way I deliver it. Um, what I really liked from the book was there's concepts that I was already aware of. Maybe I didn't quite understand them, but the way you articulated it in the book, something in the way you did it clicked with me. Yeah. So the way your approach resonated more with me in terms of the stuff you've written in the book. So it's finding who who you relate to, who which yeah. teaching style you prefer, well, and all I, that kind of stuff. In it, it. It's funny you say that because that was one of the key things that I wanted to make sure I get, and I and that's like a big feed, uh, a big point of the feedback that I get mm-hmm. is I can take a lot of knowledge that maybe like even reading the Stoicism stuff that people would find it difficult to read, 
and not quite understand what they're saying, but then the way that I take that information and pass it on, mm -hmm. it makes sense to them. Yeah. It makes sense to a lot of people in a much easier way and a much more digestible format that they can then implement the stuff correctly in their life. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just from... I've been fortunate that I taught martial arts and then became a coach for a very long time. From being um, 16, 17 years old, I was teaching yeah. you know, martial arts, so it's been a long time. Mm -hmm. 13, 14 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's been a long time I've been a coach for, yeah. um, or at least a teacher for, and teaching martial arts. Martial arts has been my life study. Yeah. Um, and along with that, I was fortunate in that martial arts back then was or at least for me, was philosophy and development and all them things too. So I got exposed to a lot of the great thinkers and great writers very, very early I was going on. to ask, do you think you'd have, you'd have become, obviously you wouldn't have become the person you are now without martial arts, but do you think you'd have been this kind of philosophical and approaching some of the subjects we've touched on today without that background in martial arts? I know it's probably difficult it's to say. It's whether I would have been exposed to exposed it. Exposed to it, yeah. Um, for me personally, so when I was reading, like obviously I got ex exposed to, uh, I got exposed to uh, Buddhism from the Chinese martial arts, the mm -hmm. Japanese martial arts, um, and then you just get into the philosophies. And to be fair, like Bruce Lee was a big part. Yeah, like even course. though I didn't practice kung fu, um, Bruce Lee himself, his mindset on martial arts was so far ahead. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I think a lot of martial arts is bullshit it doesn't work it doesn't work in fights it's been proven that that's yeah. the whole point of MMA and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and you know you look at any sport that you want to do if you want to get good at fighting or martial arts there's got to be a testing element to it all the time there's got to be a sparring element to it mm -hmm. all the time against a resisting opponent that was what was missing in traditional martial arts and so like when I look at a lot of the old Kung Fu stuff uh, like the trapping things and all that, you know, like yeah. it always used to look great. I used to think it looked fantastic. The Wing Chun against the dummies and, and stuff. And the dummy <laughs> stuff, yeah, and the Chi the Sao and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it was like, yeah, fantastic, but you'll never be in that situation in a fight because that's not what, what happens. And we've seen that's not what happens. Yeah. Um, so some of the stuff in the martial arts obviously was rubbish, but Bruce, I think Bruce Lee was into practicing and finding what really worked. Yeah, and one of his quotes is discard what's not useful. What's and, not useful, and yeah. That's what is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and just all, you know, he, a lot of his stuff that you would probably read is a lot of Taoism uh, stuff, and I think being able to, to be exposed to that at such a young age probably did steer me in that path. I think I would, mm -hmm. I would always have been quite a deep thinker and, maybe philosophical, but I don't know if yeah. when I would have been exposed to it if yeah. I hadn't have done martial arts. Do you read much Jeff Thompson? Jeff Thompson was brilliant, yeah. yeah. I've, I used to use a lot of Jeff Thompson stuff when I was young. Um, Jeff's a, a deep thinker too. From yeah. the limited stuff that I've seen of Jeff's stuff, yeah. um, his fence tackle, you know, the stuff with yeah, the, the fence, fence yeah. it really worked for a lot of the door lads. It was very realistic. Because mm -hmm. um, he used to put on like animal days, he'd call them. Yeah. And that'd be a, an amalgamation of different martial arts, pressure testing, what worked, what didn't work. Yeah, well, I've utilised yeah. a lot of his, his stuff in in some military stuff that I did and in some door security stuff. Yeah. We used to do that a lot when I was a lot younger and I used to coach a lot of dollars. We used to um, 
use that kind of stuff mm-hmm. a lot back then because it was just more realistic than yeah. anything else. You know? yeah. I remember reading a Martial Arts Illustrated many, many years ago and Jeff Thompson had written an article in there and it was about the long train journey. You have that story in your book about the long train journey. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, thinking too far ahead in the future and anxiety of something that's going to happen yeah, in the yeah. future. And um, what's the tagline? You, I lost a fight in Birmingham. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You already beat me in Birmingham. Yeah. Would you mind, yeah. um, if you can remember it, telling us that the story of the yeah, long of train course. journey? Yeah, yeah. I think it's powerful. Yeah, it's a very powerful um, tale. I mean, you know, the, sh- the short-term version is um, there's two burn-local fighters. One's the champion and one's the challenger. And the champion is from... London and the challenger is from up north and on the um, the the champion is notorious for being uh, ruthless and brutal and mean and terrifying and the challenger very capable undefeated but his friends all know of this champion and they let it be known how scary he is and the damage he causes to all of his opponents that he's beaten and destroyed and broken the bones in the face and eyes falling out and teeth knocked out and nose broke. And so on the journey to the fight on the train, as he gets further and further away from home and closer and closer to the champion at each station, his adrenaline hits him more and his fear grabs a hold of him more. And as he arrives, as the train pulls into London and is greeted by the promoter, the promoter goes to the train and the challenger isn't on it. And instead there's just a note. And on the note it says, you beat me in Birmingham. <laughs> and you think, you know, this, the, the amount of people who said to me from this tale, like I got told that when I was a kid and it always stuck by me. Yeah, when, it's good. When it was like, um, to think of, we all do that in everything that we do. Yeah. How fearful we are of things in our mind because we just make... There's, a, there's another tale that's very similar um, that I learnt later on in life and it was uh, about the wolves. There's always more until they accounted and mm-hmm. it's about the wolves. I don't know if you've heard that tale no, before. Um, and I think it was General Patton and they were in the Civil War and they were like around Mexico and that. There was lots of wolves and they, these wolves were notorious for like eating all the uh, the soldiers who yeah. were in the Civil War and they were in enemy territory and <clears throat> they were going to get eaten. And I'm damaging the story here a little bit because I'm rushing it through, but <laughs> um, they could hear wolves and they were terrified and it's like, these wolves are going to get us and they were so afraid and yeah. they panicked and they could hear these wolves and they're thinking, they're imagining 50 wolves and thinking these wolves are going to just savage us. There's no way we're going to do anything and they could kept hearing these wolves and then this night they came across this wolf pack but there was two wolves and the wolves saw the five men or whatever it was and yeah. and scarped off because they were terrified but it's like it, for days they'd been going oh my god these wolves are going to eat us there's 50 wolves been made up until yeah, yeah. you know there's always more until they counted yeah. when you see actually what your problem is you can come up with the solutions for it it's never actually as worse as what you envisage it in your mind is it yeah never yeah. never like yeah. and I think that's so applicable to everything that we make things in our head seem mm-hmm. so much worse. Yeah. And that's where stoicism comes in for me, that it just levels me straight away. Yeah. So what are some of the other tenets of stoicism um, that appeal to you, that, so, that you kind of use? So people might say, like, they'll say to me sometimes um, that I'm stoic, that I might be, like, a bit emotionless or not showing emotion. It's not that I'm not 
I don't feel emotion. I'm I'm a very emotional man, really, and I'm a very loving man. I'm open with my vulnerability. Mm -hmm. I don't mind being vulnerable. Um, but it's also the detachment from an outcome and things. I'm not. I don't have an attachment to something. No one. I have no expectations yep. of um, something from someone, and understanding that I don't need to rely on someone doing something for me. Or yeah, I think there's a lot of time, and it kind of touches on one of the tenets in the book. If you have a preconceived outcome of something happening, and it doesn't go to plan, yeah, then that can. That well, ex expectation it. always leads to disappointment, doesn't yeah. it? You know, and I think, and this is where some people, again, with the law of attraction, don't understand. The, the universe works and conspires in very strange, mysterious ways to get you the things that you do actually want, yeah. um, as long as you can keep them within you and, and, and put it out there. But you'll go through things that you'll think, like, why would I want this? But it's like, for the love of fate, the Amor Fati yeah. thing is... You have to embrace this. There'll be a reason why you'll be going through this mm -hmm. pain or this suffering, or what you, or what you see as pain or suffering. There'll be a reason if you let it, and it'll be the, one of the greatest lessons. Life for yeah. me for the book, it was like I'd wrote it, and then I had to redo it all, yeah. and it was, it was great that that happened because it wouldn't have been the book that it is now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was a, that was a kind of reframe. When I talk yeah. about reframing in the book as one of the coping strategies, yeah. reframing events. Not all, not to like just put a positive spin on it, but well, that, I think that's the thing where people talk about uh, what they say po positive um, toxic po po positivity, positivity or yeah. something like that. Is it? I can't even remember what the term is, but it's like you know, the, you, you, that's just when people are trying to put positive spins and pretend and they don't believe it like yeah. you know I know people will say like oh yeah it'd be alright it's like you don't believe that so don't pretend you've got to delve deeper and understand <laughs> why Yeah. you know why what can be the reasoning yeah. for I heard it. a turn this morning on the uh, I listened to a podcast on the way here a rational optimist so sometimes optimists can be quite like dis delusional about like the circumstances they're put in yeah. but a rational optimist is someone who yeah it might not happen now but eventually like the, the Stockholm Syndrome I think I think they referred to in the podcast. Um, he was a prisoner of war. A prisoner, yeah. Um, the optimist did do very well because he thought they were going to be oh, yeah, rescued it's, it's by the Christmas. Vietnam, the Vietnam. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know yeah. that tale, yeah. Yeah, they, they struggled. But I think that's when, the, like you're saying, I don't believe that's optimism, though. Uh, when I've read that and listened to that tale before, I think a lot of it is... like I think because in life... Optimists are proven to have a better life, aren't they? They're mm -hmm. proven to live longer, to perform better, to yeah. have much better outcomes. Because it's dead easy to be a pessimist. It's really easy to be negative. It's yeah. really easy to be that naysayer who says, no, shit, that shit, rubbish. Don't believe it, don't work, this. Well, to me, I don't want to live like that anyway, so, yeah. you know, it's but like... You'll never achieve anything, a cynic. You're never going to achieve anything because you'll think that... Well, I didn't want it anyway, so... Yeah, you know I mean? oh, yeah. I'm not, yeah. not going to get it. I don't get them things. Yeah. Get, you know. And it just makes you, like you're saying, it makes you a cynic and makes you... Um, then just makes you pull other people down. Anyway, mm -hmm. you know. So I would much rather be an optimist and uh, believe that things work out. It's worked out well for me so far. Yeah. So, you know. yeah. Memento mora is a tenant of um, stoicism. And I think it's one of the ones that people do get a little bit confused because it can be a depressing... Or people would assume it's a quite a depressing subject matter to oh, talk yeah. about the fact that at some point you are 
going to die, you're not going to be here. How, how people should interpret, how should people interpret Memento Mori? So, Memento Mori means you're going to die. But you're all going to die. I think knowing and embracing the fact that you're going to die. We're very, we're very distanced from death over here. Whereas in the East, they aren't. They embrace the fact that you're going to die, I think. Whereas our society now really hides the fact about death. And I think we think of death as very morbid. But knowing that you're going to die is so freeing to all that we do, if you allow it to be. Mm-hmm. In that, one, you're going to die. Who gives a shit? Right? Realistically, who cares? Yeah. Or someone might say something bad of you. Who cares? You're going to be dead anyway. No one's going to remember you. No offence. But it's very, very, very doubtful anyone's going to bring you up or mention you. And even if they did, <laughs> even if they did, you'll be dead. So no one's going to be, you're not even going to know anyway. Yeah. You'll be dead and gone and either brought back again in another life or living in the ether, living in heaven or yeah. it'll be like you're asleep, whatever it is. So go and do all the things that you want to do now because your time is very limited. And I think, I was just writing about this last night, that we forget how fleeting it is. And I think as we get a bit older and older and older, we start thinking more and more about the shortness on life. I have started thinking, it's only the last like month or so, me and my wife have had certain conversations and people who we went to school with, people who we know are now passing away. Yeah. Um, whereas when you're a lot younger, you don't accept maybe family members... But friends who we went to school with, people who are the same age as us, are starting to pass away. And we have had a few conversations about our like mortality and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I think the thing is, though, that you can die at any time. Why only think as you get older, yeah. right? Because you die. We, I, I might not make to see tomorrow. You don't know that. Mm-hmm. So why do we not live that way all the time? You know, there's, if the average life is 75 years, it's a long time. Yeah. for us to do a lot of things that we can fit in and if, if you just had that mindset that maybe you'll not get a chance to do them tomorrow so get them done today yeah, keep yeah. pushing today and I think that's the positive side if, if you want to do something go and do it because if whatever's holding you back is irrelevant just push through because one day you're not going to be here so enjoy all the bits that you can yeah. and the ironic thing is that you know Marcus Aurelius talks about it a lot about you're just going to be returning to the same place. He like mentions Alexander the Great, you know, I'll say like Alexander and whoever else, his his car driver, yeah. all return to the same space. They all return to the dirt in the ground, mm-hmm. right? And then he's saying it's irrelevant, everyone will forget you, but yet we're reading this journal 2,000 years later yeah, on in yeah. his private journal like that, he'd probably be a bit gutted. Um, Mate, the, but, dirt in, the dirt in the ground is a good a good segue. You wrote this in the book, I'm just going to read it to you now, tell me if that's okay. Yeah. The graveyard is a treasure trove. It is filled with riches beyond our comprehension. The greatest stories never told, the wisdom never passed on, the songs never sung, the deep love never given, the book never written, the teacher that never taught, the business never built, the medicine never made, the risk never taken, gone forever, never seen because of fear, because of what ifs. If you have a gift, a dream or a vision, you not only owe it to yourself, but to the whole world to set out and do it. If not now, then when? If not you, then who? Yeah. I had a conversation last week, another podcast that I did on, um, it was on cancer awareness, prostate cancer awareness. 
and I had a conversation with a, with a man who'd been diagnosed with stage four prostate cancer. So it was terminal. He had no symptoms. He only went for a, um, a groin strain to the doctors and it showed up loads of stuff in his, in his bloods. So within 36 hours, he'd gone from training for an ultramarathon to being diagnosed with prostate cancer. At the end, he's telling people to go and do what you want to do, live your dreams, live your passions. Two days after I started reading that, not started reading the book, but I was reading, reading it for this podcast today, and I read that passage about the graveyard being full of the greatest treasures. And I was, I was blown back by it. I was like, fuck, that, that's, that's powerful. Yeah. I think that's one of the most powerful parts in the book. If you, yeah. if you're, But I also think you have to be in that emotive state to go, oh yeah, this is important. This is something that, all, the, all them things that you could, could you imagine a world that everyone was free to put out and be what they were capable of being and they weren't afraid. They didn't have these limiting beliefs. They didn't have people telling them they couldn't. They didn't have gossips scurrying them. They weren't afraid of opinions. They put out what they could do. You don't, you don't know who's not doing the things they could do mm. just because of fear of judgment or fear of failing or fear of success. Yeah. There's so much in so many people that I see, so much greatness in so many people. And you just think, just push that little bit. Just give it that little bit. Just have that faith. If you have that little bit of faith, what you could accomplish could be, could literally alter the world and mm -hmm. change the world. Yeah. And you never know who who you have an impact on just from saying one word or teaching that one class or you know, maybe you have a kid in school and you say one nice thing to him and it leads them on. Mm -hmm. Or conversely it leads them the other way and it prevents them doing what they should be doing, you know, yeah. or could be doing. Yeah. It's like we, we've come full circle almost to what we spoke about at the beginning, the power of our language and the way we communicate with others and yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I think we aren't taught that enough, that the words, and I don't think teachers know that enough in schools. Mm -hmm. Or they didn't, at least if when I go back to when I was in school. You know, I don't feel like any teacher that I had was ever there to push me to a point of believing in myself enough that I would mm -hmm. go and do something, you know. Yeah, yeah. Amazing, and thank you for writing that um, that passage. That really like hit me like a ton of bricks. After having that podcast with that individual who was dealing with a life-threatening disease, to reading that as well, I was like, wow. Yeah, it was powerful. Just before we finish, I don't want to take up too much of your time this morning. Coping strategies. You talk about the power of music, and yeah. I know from watching some of your videos online and that you play the piano. Yeah. Have you always played the piano? How important is music to you and playing a musical okay. instrument? Um so, I mean, a few things on, on that I could go. So, piano, I've only been playing, I've not been playing very long, right. only a few years. Um, Is that something you always aspired to do? Or? Yeah, I always, I always wanted to do it. I just never had time. Um, yeah, never really had the time to do it. Or, well, maybe I did have time. Maybe I just gave myself excuses and I never committed fully to doing it. Um, but it was always something I thought, how interesting it is, but it's very difficult. I, had, I, I do think, like, when I first started, and I wanted to read music. I didn't just want to... You could learn a few chords and play and trick play people and say, I can play that, some yeah. songs. That's not what I wanted. If I want to learn something, I want to learn it. And I wanted to study it like I studied martial arts or I studied mindset and development and philosophy. It was like I wanted to... If I say to you, I can play the piano, I want to be able to say, 
I could play the piano genuinely. Gives a piece of sheet music and I can... Yeah, if you yeah. T- if you give me the music, I could play it. And I'm not at that level yet, so I won't lie to you. <laughs> I can read music and I could eventually play something. If you gave me sheet music, I could eventually yeah. play it, but it would take me quite a long time. Obviously, I have a teacher who I go to and I watch him play and I'm just in awe. He's just amazing. Um, but music is such a, an overlooked... I do talk about it in the book, about state changes and things. Yeah. And... I talk about it in the talk in my talks too. It's so powerful in that when we feel sad, we like to feel sad and we keep ourselves in that state of sadness. Mm. And like, I, I think I mentioned it in the book about like if you split up with a partner and then yeah, you're going to put, put the devil on. on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You're going to be sat there crying. Yeah, you know, yeah. some, you imagine yourself as a teenager listening to Adele crying because your boyfriend's dumped you. Yeah. Like, okay. But we put ourselves in that state, in that music keeps us there it resonates with us but if you can start listening to upbeat songs like before I go and talk or if I'm excited for something I have a playlist that I'll put on that will get me there's positive speaking there's positive music that's uplifting Mm -hmm. that's happy if I'm training I want to put something maybe a bit more heavy on you know Um, depending what I'm doing you know I, I like a bit of um even some like Limp Biscuit and stuff like that, yeah, you know, yeah, like that yeah. kind of, of music, which isn't music I would want to listen to normally because it's... It's time and place, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's quite an angry kind of music. So, you, you know, if you're just lifting weights and chucking weights about and kettlebells and running, and it's great for that because you're getting it all out your system. Yeah. But these songs and this music changes our mood. It changes how we feel about ourselves. It changes our state. You talk in the book about fighters, walk-up music, and I remember listening to Dan Hardy talk about he used to listen to Pantera coming out and he cannot listen to that song anymore yeah. because of the, like what Dan Hardy was like when he was fighting with the red mohawk and that, and he, he was in such a state that he was out to like kill or be killed. He, he can't listen to that song anymore. And you mentioned about fighters walk up music in the book. Yeah. But it's like, you know, and to, um, to put this across to people who don't go and fight, like for a fighter, you have a music and it'll put you in that state, what you were in when you were going. The, the really good anchors and by anchor, I mean, it'll put you into, a state that you were in mm-hmm. when you heard it. When you have like a walkout song that you use regularly, you liken it to always being in that state, in that fight or flight state, in that aggressive state, like you're talking about Dan yeah. Hardy then. Um, so when you feel like that, when you're feeling yourself in that kind of state, that music puts you back to it, puts you in that state. Yeah. But it's like a wedding song. It's the same sort of thing for everyone else, like a wedding song will take you back to that day of you being married and it will always remind yeah. you of that day like when you listen to it and it's like the, you have music music is such a powerful tool that people don't realise and that's why a lot of the music um, I'm cautious about what people I care about listen to and I think I, and I think back sometimes to like remember when like they talk about rock and roll and, yeah, and yeah, they go, yeah. oh, it's like devil music it's, and yeah. all this stuff you know and, and we go yeah, all right, it's not that bad. But then you think sometimes maybe there's some truth, some segments of truth. You think about the lyrics of some up-to-date songs and that now, what people are talking you know, about and that. And you know, you, you, you start thinking about that and you're going, um, you know, some of this rap music and that, what's on. And I like all the 90s and mm-hmm. 2000s hip-hop stuff and the rap what was out. But now some of it is like... Dark, it's quite dark, isn't it? It's like, yeah, and I just think, why, you know... You, you can't say some of the stuff, like some of the older songs, they're saying you can't say these things. Mm-hmm. But 
we forgive the language of then because it was 40 years ago yeah. to what you're saying now and you're saying that that's all right for people to listen to and for, we wonder why maybe social standards have dropped a little bit and mm-hmm. people's opinions of themselves have dropped a little bit. I think that's probably one of the key components. Because yeah. I love music. I, re- I, I really enjoy listening to lots of different types of music too. My musical style is very eclectic. Like I, I put a little joke in for some of the people who know me in the book about I like all the music but maybe not the MC type <laughs> uh, hardcore dance yeah, music yeah. and whether I'm seeing and all that like it's just not my thing but it's like a little bit of an <laughs> in joke to some people um, but like I love all kinds of music and I think it serves its purpose at some point um, I only brought up music because I, music plays a massive part in my life and I play the guitar I can't read music but I can play the, play the guitar yeah. if you just give me the chords I can play music and stuff on the guitar I like singing I enjoy singing and I didn't really realise how much of an important role music plays in my life. Yeah. Reading the book, it highlighted, I was like, I do use music for everything. It, is, it has a big impact on my but life. But it's music. massively powerful, isn't it? Like, yeah. if, you, if you put on a video, like, um, if you put on, say, you're reading that quote about the graveyard, and then you put it on, and you put some powerful music behind it, it's probably going to be ten times as yeah, powerful yeah, yeah. to someone and resonate with someone yeah. even more than it is just on its own, or if you put some different type of music that isn't maybe as mm-hmm. pulling on the heartstrings as much. It's very important to how we feel. I think there's um, a lot of people forget the importance of music. Yeah. Um, I also think, like, like what you're saying about learning, like learning the piano, I couldn't think of anything worse when I was a kid because how boring was it? Yeah. And it wasn't common being at our school and anyone who was into music and being in a band and it just wasn't cool. Like, no, no. Like, it's just not, is yeah, it? It's just not given that, that thing. And it's that thing again of like being cool or... Like overachieving, what, what we spoke about before about overachieving. overachieving you kind of yeah. tall poppy syndrome. You don't want to be seen to be excelling at stuff or going against the grain. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, when, when, you, when you're looking, like, like in school, there's no way... I was going to go and play the piano and do things in school. It weren't happening. Mm-hmm. But I think it just weren't put across that well. You know, and I think, like we were talking about earlier with being in school, like for us when we were kids, the cool kids were the ones who smoked and drank and did drugs. Yeah, like, yeah. how pathetic is that? That's ridiculous to think that way, but yet we still have that thought process over here. And yet when we see people succeeding, we also seem to want to try and really pull them down. And, you know, we want to give them a lift up a little bit, yeah, yeah, we'll support them. And then when they start getting to what they wanted to, it's yeah. like, like if no, they start maybe achieving higher than we think we are. Then, yeah, yeah, it's like, down, oh, pull them down, down, pull them yeah, down. Yeah. We don't want them. We yeah. don't want them to reach that. What, like, you know, it's this thing of. Uh, but I don't think we. I don't think they do that that much in a lot of places. Like in the states, and that it's it's a very different sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the successful guys that they, they see succeeding over there is like a good thing. Yeah, not as a bad thing. But yeah. you know, the guys, the cool guys on the TV shows when we were, when we were kids uh, Saved by the Bell and things like that like the guys were the wrestlers and that and the guys who were they, they were, were the role models they were, were the, the ones role models were, yeah. yeah they were like wow they, these are really good wrestlers mm-hmm. and they're getting good grades it's all about getting good grades so you can go play on the sports team yeah, yeah. and yeah. playing the sports team's really good it was like but over here it weren't it was a guy who was smoking cigs behind the bike yeah. shed it was cool and it's like you know what, 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 where's that going to lead to what success what world is that going to lead yeah. to? It's not you can see over in the States that the, the people who get these scholarships for football, uh, American football and for basketball, 
the grades have got to be there as well, aren't they? They're not yeah, just they have to, they have leaving to school, match. going into the rugby programme that might be in the northwest. The grades aren't really taken into account. I, I don't know what it's like now, but previously they were never really taken into account because rugby was separate from the school. Whereas from, yeah. in America, they've got such an ingrained sporting, um, what do you call it, like journey to get yeah. into the NBA and the NFL and that. The grades are taken into account, yeah. don't they? So, and I do think the schooling system is probably a little bit broken. I don't think it serves mm. its purpose anymore. Um, and I think probably it needs some readjustment. There's, yeah. um, there's a lot of things like just focusing on one thing. And I think, you know, there's a, a great quote like specialization is for insects. It's like we can do so much. We can be good at so many things. And I think martial arts proved that to me early on yeah. that I was able, I was really fortunate in that I used to run my sensei started a business with me at the helm of it, me being such a young lad yeah. teaching, because I got my black belt at an early age, that I was able to teach martial arts, but then also I, I got exposed to loads of different martial arts, sensors and teachers and instructors, and that I studied with loads of them. So I became, in MMA, I was pretty good at being all well-rounded mm-hmm. at a stage when people were just good at, one thing or uh, one another. thing at yeah. striking or jiu-jitsu or, but I got to study with loads of people all the time and I had like a judo I was really close with my judo sensei Derry yeah. um, you know I'm obviously my jiu-jitsu sensei and all these other guys that I was fortunate fortunate enough to sit and learn from and practice different martial arts mm-hmm. so I got good at lots of different stuff but then that also revealed to me that you can be good at a lot of things Yeah, you just have to be diligent in your practice you know mm-hmm. and understand that components of getting good at one thing Spreads true in everything, yeah. in all that you're doing. It's yeah. all the same. There's a, there's, a, there's a parallel. A lot of martial artists that I know also play instruments. Yeah. Whether it's the, like you're talking about, the, the same way you learn martial arts is the same process, really, that you might learn a musical instrument in. Yeah. There's this common... Well, it's, all, it's always... Do you know what the Pareto themes. principle is? Yeah, 80 so, yeah. yeah, so it's just the same thing, really. Like, you know, 20% of what you use will give you 80% of your results. Mm-hmm. The same in anything. Fighting's the same, you know. You, like I'm good at fighting. I'm good at grappling because I use twenty percent of yeah. of what I know, yeah. I'll, you know, and I get eighty percent of my results from it. It's just yeah. it's that simple, really. In that, um, it's the same in anything. If you can understand the key components to something, you can develop a lot quicker. It just takes time to build that first part up, yeah. and that's the part where you've got to really spend more time developing that bit. Yeah. You talk yeah. in the book about it being a process rather than fixating on, I want to be able to read music and play the piano. But if you just stick to the process, yeah, that habit, that however long you allocate to that hobby. In, in well, like doing, doing on the piano, it's like doing your finger work. It's boring, to be fair. It's, it's boring. Yeah, yeah. But it's part of just becoming accustomed to, like, mm-hmm. you just want to learn songs, don't you? You just want to go, I can play that song, yeah. I can play it. It doesn't really work like that. You've got to get... You've not got that level of understanding that's underneath of all no, the... To just, the um, like, if I give a sheet of music to my piano teacher, he just goes, oh, oh yeah, that's a nice piece. And I'm thinking, yeah. that's crazy. You can just look and then go. Yeah. That's amazing. But he's a, he's a black belt, isn't he? He's a black belt in, in playing music. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know? I think, like saying there about the, the process, you got to... I didn't enjoy the process. I didn't enjoy uh, the process of a lot of it when I came to fight and I was just trying to get to the UFC then. Mm-hmm. And it took all that enjoyment away yeah and that that's one of my biggest i don't live with regrets i don't i don't really let myself live with regrets but um not enjoying some of the things that i should have enjoyed really uh 
became a big teaching point for me mm. later on in that look if you're going away and you're going spending time in Japan enjoy Japan like you might yeah. be fighting but enjoy it because you might not come back and it's a big opportunity for you to be there I was mm. fortunate I got to go to Japan a couple of times you know and, and be there quite a lot yeah. as well I was there uh, for a couple of months it was it was a good thing but it was like was that for pride was, was you fighting on no, pride it was for M1 <clears throat> Pride was always, this is like a, a good little law of attraction. So pride to me was like the, I wanted to get to the UFC, but I was really desperate to fight in Japan. Right. I, Japan was like a big goal of mine. But I also wanted, do you remember Stephen Quadros, the no, commentator? He was a commentator right. on Pride uh, with Bass Rutan. And to me, he was like my Joe Rogan, really. Joe Rogan's brilliant too, but yeah. he, you know, Stephen... But Stephen became like a friend of mine now. Oh, and he's right. like, he bought a copy of my book and all yeah. that. And he's tagging me on, on these things. But like, to me, he was, um, like the fight professor was his nickname, but he was fantastic. He was, right. he was so knowledgeable about the sport of MMA back then. Um, you know, he was great. But that, that's another thing where he, he's now like tagging me in my book saying, that was an amazing book, yeah. fantastic, you know. Um, but he, I always wanted him to commentate on one of my fights, which he did. He did do a couple of times. Oh, nice. Um, but then, yeah. So it's Japan or wherever you go and enjoy the process, because that's all it ever is. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. Because you'll get to the you, you'll get to the point of what you wanted, and then you'll just go. <laughs> What's next? Yeah. Where do we go next? Yeah. And you got so you got to enjoy all the bits of it. Like, like we built this academy, and it took us a long time. I had some amazing people build this. This has been a vision of mine for twenty years. Right. I want somewhere for the community to be, which we've got with our charity, uh, Ataraxia. We've got uh, we work with amazing companies like Empire, who honestly the guys there just follow the same ethos as myself and the people involved. They're, honestly amazing uh, Dean Jamie and Nicola there at Empire yeah. honestly um, I get to chat with them in the group and we talk about stuff and uh, they just love just amazing people it's, I'm very fortunate this is what I envisioned so long yeah, ago yeah. and I work alongside uh, we work alongside Tatami now as well we do quite a oh, lot nice. of stuff with yeah. those guys as we build up more and Ty who runs that he's an amazing guy and it's like as you start to build these places like these are the bits I enjoy now the, the journey the place we built it's amazing and I know yeah. the difference that it makes to the community and to the people around us. Yeah. Um, and it's always about developing more and more and you've got to keep striving for a bit more mm -hmm. but also enjoy it as it's, because you know, if I'd have just made this once I'd got to this bit, I would have then gone, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, right, yeah. but I just enjoy every bit and we keep growing and keep growing and enjoy that whole process of what we're trying to achieve and make that difference to mm -hmm. a lot of people. Yeah. If people want to learn more about Ataraxia and the Blueprint Academy, where do they, where do they find out about that? Uh, they can go on to fighterblueprintacademy.com. Um, Ataraxia as a website, I think that's Ataraxia. It'll be like CIC. Mm -hmm. um, with Ataraxia, we do a lot of breath work and mindfulness stuff. Um, some free courses, some paid courses right. um, for the community. We're trying to just finish off our kitchen area downstairs in the academy that we can then do free coffee mornings for all the residents once a week maybe or so. Nice. Um, th there was something I, I really wanted it. We used to have a restaurant called Power Kitchen. It was like gluten-free and yeah. healthy fast food. 
the location didn't suit. I tried to do a coffee morning, but it's like, how do you reach 60-year-olds yeah, and yeah, above? Yeah. Um, how do you get around to let them know? It's not like they're all going to be on social media mm -hmm. and, and used to using social media. And where we were located was far from a bus stop or a train station or somewhere they could easily get to. So now here we're, we're right near a residential area yeah. that I'm going to be it's able perfect. to. And I, and, I, and I go and visit quite a few of the elderly residents around here and make sure that they're okay. And nice. I take them some of the power kitchen ball yeah. broth and, and some desserts <laughs> and things and just check up on some of them. And, um, you know, because I'm mindful, they don't have anybody. And also I think since COVID, interactions of people has dropped dramatically yeah. Yeah. Um, and to be able to I want to try and create a place where they can just come in and sit down and have cups of coffee and tea and yeah. a few biscuits but you see it massive now like loneliness is, is one of the biggest killers amongst the elderly that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah 100% people need each other don't they like, yeah. and, and that's the thing that, that a lot of people miss jiu-jitsu after time it's hard isn't it jiu-jitsu it's tough yeah. but you're around good people if you're around good people then it'll make you go and yeah and enjoy it more, it's community, that's what people need. And a lot of the time the ones who are unhappy, the ones who are isolated too much and don't don't give and don't try and support yeah. each other. Um, once you can get yourself into doing that, you start getting a, a much happier life, don't you? Yeah. Awesome, mate. Um, last thing before we go, what's next for Tom? In terms of your public speaking, we've spoke about you've got a few books in the pipeline. We spoke a little bit about the academy and the work you're doing in the community. Um, have you got any public speaking gigs lined up? I know you did a recent one in Birmingham, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, that was massive. We did Master Your Life um, in Birmingham. That was a, a massive event at Symphony Hall. That was amazing. Um, you know, to work alongside Dan Woods, alongside Paul Smithy. Yeah. Paul was on there doing a little Q&A thing as well. Um, obviously, I'm super close with Paul. Mm -hmm. And then James uh, Berkey runs it. He's obviously a super close friend of mine, one of my best friends. Um, and then there was some other great speakers on there. I'm at another event, another Master Your Life, which is in May. Um, Where's that being? Where's that? Is that in Birmingham? Uh, that's or? in Manchester. Right. Or is it Liverpool? Manchester or Liverpool? I'm, I can't remember now which one. Um, Where can people get tickets for that if they want to? If they're interested uh, in going to speak. That'll be Master Your Life. Master Your Life. Yeah. Um, well, they can go onto my Instagram and ask me, and I'll find cool. the link for it. Um, so I'll be talking at that. I've, I've got a few other private talking, some military um, events for me to go and talk at. Um, and then obviously writing the book and then we've got quite a few of the guys competing we've got Cage Warriors coming up in a few weeks a world title on Cage Warriors that's uh, Manchester is it? Is it Manchester, Manchester yeah, yeah. Um, and then go from there with the fights and the gym and yeah. just building things and then obviously the next book the, ne the next book I I'm going to be starting the podcast up um, pretty soon that'll start getting recorded pretty soon and then we'll start having a few things for that mm -hmm. what's um, the theme of the podcast going to be so the theme personal is development personal development yeah. mindset and um working alongside other achievers and things and you know speaking to to people who interest me really mm -hmm. um and then bits of me talking like i do on the Insta on instagram but obviously i have to really trim down a lot of stuff to try and make it fit into yeah. a three minute or 90 second video. Um, some of it will extrapolate more on, on the things of where I can hopefully coach people, yeah. uh, without you know, I obviously coach people who pay for the privilege, but I would like to try and help some people and start them off understanding, you know, like I said, how to read the stuff like I put on my website, really, yeah. uh, you know, how to read, how to develop yourself, what things to focus on. Um, I think people are more and more, as we see, like, 
I mean, the running joke is every man and his dog's got a podcast now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But I think people people find that long form content content valuable rather than the little. I know you're getting people's foot in the door. We're doing the little short form on on Instagram, and it's punchy and it's there. But people do value long longer form conversations. Yeah, 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 for sure. I think so. I think I think especially if it's valuable content. Mm-hmm. You know, I have people I like watching and listening to when I get opportunity. Um, you know, there's, there's there's plenty of good content out. I think sometimes it does get a little bit saturated. Mm-hmm. I think um, you know, and the thing is though, when when you're on Instagram, it's difficult to compete with some of the videos, isn't it? You know, there's there's some stuff on there. There's yeah. No, there's no depth to a lot of the stuff what they're doing, or there's just silliness, or you know how you can't really compete. Like how many times you watch some jujitsu content, you're like, that is not going to work. <laughs> Why? Don't practice that. Yeah. Spend the time just working on a basic guard mm-hmm. pass and a side. Like you side said before, control. that boring, the boring patterns on the piano. You've got to learn them, aren't you? You've yeah. got to learn the. You've got to just keep yeah. doing all that. You've got to keep doing all that. Yeah. And it was like, like there was a, a video one of the guys filmed. Um, one of my fighters, uh, Andy Clamp, who's going fighting for the world title. Um, him and I rolling, and it was like a 15 minute roll or something you know we were just rolling but it's like I, I said you might find it boring some of you they asked could they watch it some of the people in the group yeah. and I said yeah you can watch it obviously you know have a watch and um, I'm like to some people it'll be boring but it's like fundamental key fundamental points yeah. what a lot of people would miss that only high level Jiu Jitsu players would understand yeah. that what we're both doing at each point Um but to get to that point, it's boring. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's just the basic stuff all the yeah, time. Yeah. It's yeah. not it's not the fancy guard passing. It's not the fancy uh, extravagant stuff that looks really cool on Instagram that gets hundreds of thousands of, of views. Which is all all well and good. I'm not I'm not I'm certainly not hating on that either. Mm-hmm. But if you want to get good at something, stick to the basics and get really good at the basics. Yeah. You see it in any in any activity, don't you? The people who excel at it, I've got. A mastery of the fundamentals of yeah always yeah always and you get some outliers sometimes who come in and like i think the leg locking scene was part of that for a little while where people would just catch leg locks quick yeah. on a on even on black belts you know because they weren't ever exposed to that mm-hmm. kind of attack <clears throat> but now that's dropped off again now yeah and there'll be something else again it's everything cyclical it's always as is life everything is cyclical yeah. in jiu-jitsu and in mma and things keep coming around the same and you know like the stoic says there's nothing new under the sun you mm-hmm. know it's just all repeats history repeats yeah so, you know if you get good at the basics all the rest you can add on can't you i think that's a perfect way to win mate. i appreciate your time Lovely. this morning i really time, enjoyed mate. talking to you everyone go and buy the book it's an excellent read and uh, again mate thanks for giving up your time thank you mate you're more than welcome i had a great time brilliant tom thank you pal nice one mate appreciate that thank you mate